All right, isn't Marie just adorable? I mean, she is the one that you want to spend time with. She is the one that you want to get to know. She is the one that can make your life so much easier. And, and this uh, two weeks, we're looking at this theme of relationships, making relationships work because they are as easy as A, B, D. They are not easy at all. In fact, they are hard um, and uh, where we started off last week was to make a statement that just seems, you know, obvious to everyone, but it's one that we need to begin with again today, and it just goes something like this. To make relationships work, we need to make relationships work. In fact, making relationships work is, is kind of like running a marathon. You can't just turn up to the start line and expect to the finish. Um, it, you can't cut any corners when you are preparing to run a marathon. You need to put in all of the work and the effort, and that is exactly the same as how it works with relationships. To make relationships work, we need to make them work. What we're discovering last week, really, when it comes to making relationships work, is that the issue really has everything to do with you. I mean, you've got a bucket that leaks, and you've got issues, and you've got baggage, and you've got faults of your own. So if you would just listen some more, if you would just stop that annoying habit... If, if you would do some more work around the house, if you would just stop, you know, uh, doing what you do and change your attitude, then everything would be so much easier, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? I mean, the relationships would just go so much smoother if you could just sort yourself out. And so what we discovered last week is that that actually can tip over into your prayer life as well. If you're here this morning and you're into praying, I mean, uh, this works in relationships. I've, I've had times in my life when I have uh, been praying and speaking to God and, and uh, I've sat down and said, you know, Lord, um, there's something wrong with my wife, you know. It's, it's obvious to me. I can see it. I mean, she has an attitude and she has that habit and she just, you know, if, if that could change, it would make the world a difference. So uh, it, it tips over into your prayer life, right? And you say, God, if you could just fix that in her, it'd be so much easier for me, you know. And in those times, I find God quietly whispering and nudging me, um, uh, saying things like, well, Troy, how about we start with with you, you know, because uh, if we can just sort out some of your things and, and I'll come back and say, me, really? Is it me? Do I have to really work on me? I thought it was, was her that needed the work on. And I find more often than not that when I, when I start praying like that, God has a very practical way of, of reminding me, if you like, that if I just start by, by looking at me, I'll discover that, yep, I've got enough holes and faults in my own life to need sorting out. So don't go there with the prayer thing because it kind of doesn't work when you're trying to fix it, usually for somebody else. You know, to make relationships work, we need to make them work. And so where we ended up last week is really the realization is that we need to own, if you like, we need to own our own. Go one. Own our own. Uh, when I do some looking at myself, when I do some reflection on who I am, um, then that's probably a good starting place when it comes to making relationships work. In fact, Jesus himself, in one of his greatest, his greatest talk, it was called the Sermon on the Mount, uh, paused in a space there and began to talk about relationships. And he, he said these words, don't judge people and you won't be judged yourself. 
You'll be judged if you like, you see, by the judgment you use to judge others. You'll be measured by the measuring rod you use to measure others. Jesus wasn't talking about uh, differentiating between wrong and right, good and evil. What he was talking about is a condemning, critical, judgmental kind of attitude that fault finds in everyone else. And it's so easy to point the finger. Jesus said, if you do that, uh, that will be the judgment that God will assess you by. But at the same time, it's the assessment by which other people will measure you by as well. So it's best, if you like, to own your own. You see, when someone genuinely does that, and I wonder this week if anyone here has been owning their own and doing some of that reflection, looking inside your own bucket and, and, and wondering... Because see, when someone does that, it opens up a whole new possibility of understanding and appreciating that we've all got faults, we've all got habits, we've all got patterns that need checking and resonating and refining. In fact, when I start to look at my own and own my own, I discover that it probably opens up a world of graciousness because I humbly understand that, wait a second, I, I have faults myself. And so when I come to pointing the finger at someone else, I'm, I'm less inclined to be more critical and more inclined to be more accepting. Because I realize that I'm not perfect and altogether myself. You need to own your own. Now, if I could just pause there for a moment. Because I wonder if some people this week have been taking that on board. And if you like, they've been doing the... The introspection at looking at themselves and as they've looked inside their own bucket, they've discovered that, well, the bucket seems a little dry and I'm aware of my own faults and I'm aware of my own brokenness and I'm aware of my own baggage and I'm aware of my own sinfulness. And as I I look in, I'm kind of, I'm saddened. Can I pause for a moment if that's been you? Because... You see, I think the good news message of Jesus is that sometimes when we look inside the bucket and we don't see a whole lot of good stuff, it's very easy for us to become self-critical and condemning of ourselves. The the truth is that we don't have it all together, but that we're still of infinite worth, even though we're in need of repair. And sometimes we can miss that in the message and the life of Jesus as we do that. You see, we can confuse a sense of brokenness and sinfulness and selfishness with worthlessness. And that's not true with Jesus. You see, he believes that we're of infinite worth in need of repair. Many years ago, I owned uh, my pride and joy. Favorite possession I had in my life was was a car. JJK 636, HD Holden, you know, the two-tone. It was fantastic. Um, it had a steering wheel that was really big and had, we called it, lots of rocker in it. So you could actually slide along the bench seat at that time. No seat belts in the back. It was kind of one of the old 65. And, and you could sit in the middle of it with your surfboard in the back and you could drive the highway being really cool to yourself, you know, just, just really. And, and this car was the, like the pride and joy. The only problem with the uh, HD Holden was that it had leaks <laughs> and it had holes. <laughs> and, and so when it rained, it wasn't really good for it because the, the rain got in and it just caused a mess. One day I was driving down after a thunderstorm and, and I heard this like this swishing like a tide <laughs> in the back of the car. And, and I got home, pulled over, and I lifted up the, the floor to see that there was, there was an ocean under the floor and it was just swishing around every, everywhere. So much water had got in. And in that moment, I had to make decision. Do I take this thing to the tip 
Or do I actually make some vital repairs? Well, of course, it was a no-brainer for me. It's my pride and joy. JJK636, brilliant, wanted to have it. So what I did was I spent hours and days and weeks stripping out all the inside of the car, getting rid of all of the water, plugging up all the holes, get out all of the rust, and, and, and putting it back together again as, as though it was brand new. You see, don't confuse when you look into your own bucket and sort of see that stuff with the idea of me not having it all together and, and, and me being inherently selfish or, or broken or carrying baggage to, to equal worthlessness. No, no, no. In, in Jesus' anticipation and expectation, the idea is that he thinks that we're of incredible worth and value. We're just in need of repair. And if we come to him, we open up our, our arms and open up our minds and open up our lives. He pours his life into us. And that, my friends, is good news. Play. All right, what happens if you do, though, have a good look inside and you're aware of your own shortcomings so that helps you keep in check sometimes your presumption to judge other people and point the fingers? What happens when you actually discover someone like Marie uh, is in your life. And we all have Maries in our life. In fact, you might be here today and you are a Marie and you don't even know it. <laughs> in fact, Marie is the kind of person that can look at the situation and, and say very seriously and earnestly, uh, you never have to pretend with me, Deborah. I'm, I'm always honest with you, aren't I? I care so much I have to say something because I want to help. Have you got someone like this in your life, a Marie? Um, you don't have to worry, dear. I forgive you. And I'm always here to help. I mean, all of us have Maries in our lives, don't we? In fact, we might hear some of our own words in just then. What do we do when, sure enough, we spend enough time uh, rubbing up in relationship to other people and, and discover that there are times when other people stand on my toes they hurt me, they scratch the duco of my own, they, they cause another hole and a crack in my own bucket, what do I do? I mean, because we've got enough holes and faults in our own bucket not to have other people cause any problems in our, in our lives, right? So what do we do? Well, the Bible's really clear on this. I want to talk about three ways and then a higher way. Three ways and then a higher way. When someone stands on your toe, when you bump into a Marie in your life and she just has that way or he has that way of just saying it and it just gets you and it hurts you and, and what do I do? Well, the first thing the Bible talks about is go to the person. When someone stands on your toes, when someone scratches the juco, when someone causes another crack in your bucket, go to the person. Go to the person to restore the relationship. In the book of Matthew, chapter 18, it says, If your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. You might be sitting here right now and saying, Troy, that is ridiculous. Someone hurts me, someone offends me, and you want me to go to them to sort it out? You want me to go to them and actually try and restore things? Surely they should come to me because they have hurt me. Well, that would be true if they knew they'd done it in the first place. But I find 50% of the relationships, scratches in the duco of our lives, of our own relationships, happen because people do stuff to us that they are completely unaware of they've done or said or thought. Has anyone ever been in a situation like this before? You've got, I, I completely blindsided me. The, re, the realization that this happens is because we have blind spots. Just yesterday, I was in Bunnings. 
and I was buying some buckets. <laughs> and uh, I went to the self-checkout. You know those new ones? The yep, fast line. And I had four buckets, and I knew on the system there, on the panel in front of me, that if I scanned one of them, I wouldn't have to scan the other three because I could just hit the multiplication button, right? Do you think I could find that thing? I'm standing there going, where, where is that? And there was a lady behind me. She saw me pausing, and she said, if you just... It's just to the right-hand side, and I'm touching the screen. I'm just, no, no, just a little bit higher. I'm like, yeah, I can't really see it. And then just a little bit lower. There it is. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> it was staring in right in front of my face. There it was, completely blind. So the realization in our lives that there are relationships that we have that work just the same way. And you offend someone, and you don't even know it. So the best thing someone can do is to go to you to try and restore it. When someone stood on your toes, scratched the juco, caused a crack in your bucket. Make sense? But what do we usually do? When someone hurts us, wounds us, pains us, do we go to the person? No. We go to everyone else, don't we? We Facebook it. We tell our friends. We tell our family. Oh, that person, they said that thing. They did that thing. They, they omitted me from, and I am so mad with them. Have you ever heard third person, someone else's issue with you, that someone, they're really mad at you, and you yeah? You know, so many things will be resolved is if we just learnt this. Go to the person, because we have blind spots. And when you go to them, don't go to condemn or judge. Go to restore something that's been broken. And so here are the six magic words you need to take with you. HR people, this is it, this is gold. You can pay me later on for it, okay? This is it. When you go... Do not assume. Ask this question. Can you please help me understand? Can you please help me understand when you said such and such? Can you please help me understand when you did such and such? Can you please understand when you omitted me from? And the person will most likely come back and say, I had no idea. I'm so sorry about that. Can I make it right? 50% of all relationships can be resolved just like that, scratches in the juco. Second thing, if you've got a Marie in your life and uh, there's, there's blind spots, if you've got a Marie in your life and you're wondering, they just stood on the toes, scratched the juco, what's the second thing to do? Here's it. Second one, this is, this is a little bit repetitive, I know. It says, go to. <laughs> go to the person to restore it. This is, this is amazing, isn't it? In fact, again, in the book of Matthew, Jesus says these words. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, just picture back in Jerusalem, there's the holy city. And in the middle of the city, there is a temple. In the middle of the temple, there's places to offer sacrifice and worship to the living God. He's got that in mind, that picture. If you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember, wait a second, someone has something against you. Leave your sacrifice there at the altar and go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice back to God. In fact, Jesus felt that restoring relationship with a a brother or sister, some other fellow human being, was even more important in that moment than worshipping the living God. In fact, you can't do both together. And so this person remembers, that's it, I've done something wrong. You see, there are times in our lives in which we blow it, don't it? We can either lie, cheat, or steal. We can either omit something, say something we didn't really want, or have an attitude of woken up on the wrong side of the bed that just leaks on everyone else. Yeah. And when we know we've done the wrong thing, the Bible's really clear about this. It's just, tell you what, instead of festering on it, instead of you sitting on your high horse and saying, you know, go when you've blown it and say, 
these magic words, seven magic words. Here they are. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? You just turn to the person next to you right now and you can just practice this. Yeah, I, was, I was wrong. Go on. Yeah, I was wrong. If there's any relationships here, they're just going to be, I was wrong. Just admit. Right now, I was wrong. It was me. I was the one. Just practicing. Some people are mending relationships right here. Not you were wrong, but I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And then, of course, if you have a Marie in your life and those first two things aren't kind of working and the juco just keeps getting scratched every time you're around them and we have to be really cautious with this one because the juco keeps on getting scratched. The third thing that sometimes we need to learn to do is to guard ourselves. Because one of the things I've discovered in my own relationships with people looking at myself, staring into my own bucket, is that I find it so hard to change myself. Does anyone else in the room here find it hard to change themselves? So if I find it hard to change myself, how on earth do I think I'm ever going to try and change someone else? So one of the realizations in our lives is that when we have Marie's that just have a gift for wounding and hurting, that even when you've gone to and you've tried to resolve and to restore and to make things work, and over and over again, you realize it just keeps happening. It's like Groundhog's Day being rewound again and again and again. Sometimes we need to put a boundary around ourselves and our own hearts and minds in order to guard us from being just hurt and wounded again and again, and again. I'm not talking about putting up a wall. I'm talking about putting out a rope. So I might need to restrict sometimes my time. I might need to restrict the environment. I might need to define the space. Because I know in my experience that it's so easy to be wounded. And it's so hard to change. Myself, ever alone someone else. Sometimes we need to just be able to wait and give people over. It's a profound dynamic recorded in the pages of the Bible. One of the writers who's written so much of the New Testament by the name of Paul. There's a story in, in, in the book of Acts where he's going on a, a missionary journey that is to proclaim Jesus into the Roman Empire. And he's there with his friend, an encourager by the name of Barnabas. And they bring someone else on that journey called John Mark. And somewhere in the course of that journey into the unknown to talk about Jesus in, in, into a, a Roman Greek world that hasn't heard anything about him, John Mark decides to turn around and abandon the journey and return to Jerusalem. Well, when Paul decides to go with Barnabas on their next journey back to even forge into deeper into the frontiers, Barnabas has an idea. He says, how about we bring John Mark? And Paul looks at Barnabas and has this caustic argument with him. And we don't know the details about it, but all it is is that Paul doesn't want John Mark to go. No way. It gets so heated between Paul and Barnabas, that it says in that moment, they sever ties and they go to different regions 
to talk about the love and life of Jesus. (laughs) Paul takes Silas. Barnabas takes John Mark. We don't know what happens. But very near the end of Paul's life, when he's writing a letter to another friend called Timothy, just in a throwaway line near the very end of the letter, he signs it off. Oh, by the way, Timothy, can you, when you come, will you bring some things with me? And by the way, John Mark has been of good use and worth to me. So you think that somewhere in the midst of all of those years of hurt, of guarding, and giving over to God and saying, I can't fix this. Somehow, with hope and prayer, God has worked those things together such that at the end of his life, he can say, John Mark is of real worth and value to me. I'm so glad for that because that's the same Mark who seems to write the gospel according to Mark in the Bibles that we read. How can I best love without being wounded again and again and again? Three ways. But you know what? There's a higher way. Because if you or I look at these three ways and find them hard, which we should, we should implicitly realize that what we need more than anything else in our lives as human beings is to run on a fuel that allows this to become more natural and easy in our lives. So that same Paul writes these words about the fuel that seems to make human beings run best, unlettered, pure, unadulterated love. And this is how he describes it. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. And it always perseveres. You see, you don't have to wake love up in the morning time and say, hey, what are you going to do today? (laughs) You don't have to nudge love and say, hey, you're going to be a little bit more patient. You you don't have to wrangle and wrestle and, and, and put love's arm behind its back and say, will you be patient and kind today? It's just what love does. It's just what love is. And it seems to come from God in bucket loads. Do you need to be filled up afresh this morning with pure, unadulterated, unleaded love. Because it seems that our vehicles, our bodies, run best, according to Paul, on love. It makes the other three ways so much easier because they overflow from the heart rather than forcing the hand. I think that's why the end of that section we looked at last week, Matthew chapter 7, a bewildered people who are scratching their heads saying, this is hard. At the end of his profound sermon on the Mount talk, Jesus ends with these words. So ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock. Knock on the 
the throne room and the heavenly gates of God, and the door will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks for God's unrelenting, unyielding kingdom life and love will receive. And the one who seeks that supernatural pouring out of God's love in your life will find. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And then he says, imagine if you have a child of fathers and they ask you for some bread, you won't give them a stone. If they ask you for a nourishing egg to eat, you won't give them a snake. How much more your heavenly father in heaven who dwells so close will pour his love and his life into you when you ask and you seek and you knock. Am I making sense? God speaking to us today. See, because what I discover about this is you don't have to perfectly know Jesus to have all of this worked out. If you're here this morning in a relationship and it's going south, or it's hard, you can right now where you are, ask, and you can seek, and you can knock, and the life of God, I believe, can be poured out. The band's going to come right now, they're going to play some reflective music before they sing so we can consider these things, but I want to finish with an illustration, I need some help here, Bron, can you please come up here, Um, I need you to help Hold the bucket for me for a minute, because I think this is kind of the way it's supposed to work. So you're holding the bucket. I want you to go ahead and put your finger underneath there. I need some more help. Okay. Come on, Yvonne. Uh, uh, Up here. There's another hole underneath there. I want you to put your... And I want you to... Yeah, the other hole underneath. That's it. I want you to plug this up. All right. Because I think the way it's supposed to work is that when someone comes to discover Jesus in their life... He kind of, if you like, pours out his love from the heavenlies. Oh, is there another hole? All right, Bronte, can you come up here quickly? Can you plug that hole? Yeah, okay, all right, all right. Just leave the other two for a minute. Let's just see if we can do the first one. See, what he does is he pours his love into people's lives from the heavens. Bron, you just have to press a little bit harder here. You're still leaking. Because I think the only thing that really resolves and heals holes in people's lives to make us whole is an extraordinary supernatural love that comes from God that actually heals wounds. Unlike this bucket right now in this illustration. However, I need two other people. Rob, come on up here quick. There's one over here. And, and I need a, 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 another one. Andrew, can you come on up here? Because there's one at the side here. And there's a Rod. Yeah, okay. Stay there, Rod. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's Rod right here. Right, there's one there. And Andrew, there's one at the, for the front. Okay, can you find the other? Whew. Man, there's one there. Okay, and Bron, there's one at the back here. If you take the one under. Andrew, can you take the one underneath? Bron, you take the one. There we go. I think the way it's supposed to work is that when God pours his life into someone, we're supposed to be buckets or receptacles of love. So that when we get filled up with God's love, the way it's supposed to work is that we pour out that love into other people's lives. Yeah? In fact, some of you are here today, you've actually come because you've experienced someone else's love that God's poured into their lives, into their lives and over onto you. And you've gone, wow, that makes a change. I've seen a change in their life. And I want some of that. I don't know what it is, but I want some of it. I want to tell you it's because they've opened their life to God and they've been praying, asking, seeking, knocking. And their buckets have been getting filled. And see, the way buckets are supposed to work is that they're supposed to tip out on other people's lives. 
And so when they're being tipped out with love, other people experience it. But the reality is that Rod has holes in his own bucket and Andrew has holes in his own bucket and Bronte has holes and Yvonne has holes and Bronte has no holes. She's perfect. Can I go fishing in November? You see, and other people are supposed to then come. What happens in a community of Jesus followers is that they have other people come and plug their holes. And when they're loving them and they're accepting them and they're going to the person, they're fixing things up, it helps heal their lives. And so when their lives are being healed, more of God's love actually is being used in them to fill up. And so they can tip that out on other people as well. Does this make sense? And that's the way a community of Jesus followers is supposed to live. So I wonder, you're doing so well. This is brilliant. It's because that's me. You're plugging up me, which is great. Are you here this morning? And you need some changing in your life. No fingers being pointed. Do you need some change? You need to ask and seek and knock. Open up your heart and mind and say, Jesus, would you help change me? Because I cannot change myself. Do you need to do some backtracking? As a result of hearing today, you need to do some backtracking and saying some sorries and getting back to the source and going to the person. Fix it up. Go ahead in love to reconcile. Do you need to be doing some going because you've blown it, you've been on your high horse and I'm not, I never will and you need to just fall on your sword and say, God, would you help me because I need to say some sorries to restore some things. Do you need some filling here today? Because I think he's available. Ask, seek, knock and the door will be opened unto you. Could you imagine a whole bunch of people made that their prayer every day, every morning for the rest of this year, courageously. Here I am, a broken vessel. I ask and I seek and knock. God, would you pour out your life and love and patience and kindness and goodness, that unadulterated, unleaded love that comes from heaven into my life. Imagine, imagine, imagine. We're going to sing. If you'd like to join us, you're welcome to. You might just want to pray. You might just want to quietly wait. But as they do, if you'd like to join, would you join in as though it's a prayer and an anthem to the living God? To make relationships work, we need to make them work. So let's make them work. Thanks, Lord.